Uh, the weekend and plenty from the radio today. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. A show like Gogglebox, if it was made 20 years ago, yes. would have had 16 nuclear families with a picture of the Sacred Heart in the background. That's what it would have had, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Why is it important that we hang on to this built heritage? They're major cultural, social, amenity and economic assets for the area in which they're located. And they're, you lose a house like Naplosti, um, you simply will, you know, will, will, won't get it back again. And the people cried out, leave them cows alone, they're doing a great job. And one cow said, how could I be to blame for the hot weather? Sure, I'm freezing. And we'll start in the afternoon and it was the last Friday of the month so Joe and co were in Waterford for a funny Friday live line. Hello, good afternoon and you're very welcome to Live Line. Here we are at the Fake Lake Hotel. Beautiful day, beautiful day. Doc Savage, how are you Doc? Just, I've been away on my holidays, yeah. Oh great. I went to the airport for two weeks. Good land. <laughs> You know, I discovered something. I discovered what? something, Joe. I discovered Don't something. Do you know the reason when you get to the airport, it's a very long walk to the plane. I know, I know. Yes, that, yeah. that's the reason why that is. Give your luggage a head start. Because <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine was going to New York on his holidays a few weeks ago, and he got to the check-in, and he hands the bag in, and he said to the girl, now when you get that bag, send it to London first, then send it to Madrid, then send it down to Dubai, then send it to Australia, and then send it to New York. See, we couldn't possibly do that. Well, you did it the last time. <laughs> And by the way, you know all this. <laughs> you know all this. Uh, we're talking to the week show about Ryanair being overcrowded. Remember the whole. Oh, yeah, yeah, so just right. a few weeks ago, there was a load of people trying to get onto a Ryanair flight, and it was really full. And I was saying to people, "No, there's no more room. You can't." Get, and there's two fellas trying to get on. We have to get on. No, there's no more room. You're not getting on. We have to get on. What do you mean you have to get on? I said we're the crew. By the way, there's no recession anymore in this country. No recession. We're broke. <laughs> And things are so bad at the moment that I noticed that there's seagulls everywhere around Swords where I live, and the seagulls are now throwing bread back to the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, sir. And I heard that the government, I just heard a great one the other day, they have a rainy day fund now. Did you hear that? I you didn't know, know that, yeah. They have a no, rainy day no, fund, no, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, one good drizzle will wipe us out. <laughs> <laughs> it's back to school day. Yeah. How'd you get on this morning? What I was it like? like on? I'm not going back tomorrow. Why not? I don't like it. You don't like it? My mum said I'd just go today, but she, I didn't realise I'd go for the next 18 years. <laughs> and what's your teacher like? Um, she's all right. Kind of. <laughs> and you've written a little ditty. I beg your pardon? No, you've written... <laughs> <laughs> you've written... 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 <laughs> you've written a little ditty. I beg your pardon, yeah, all right. Uh, what's it <laughs> called? What's it called? It's called School is Awful. School? <coughs> Does your teacher know? She does now. <laughs> <laughs> School is awful. School is hateful. When I leave it, I'll be grateful. School kids moaning, teachers bitching. Why me favourite subject is Mitchin Elocution with Miss Hopper Says young ladies must talk proper If they want a good career But it's all about a verbal diarrhoea 
best friend. Ria Katty, organized a <laughs> cider party. But poor Ria, silly wagon. She got caught behind a bullshed with a flagon. <laughs> Teacher's pet is Mary Gratton. And on me she's always rotten. <laughs> got me all back, lots of snickers. When I shoved me brother's pet frog down her knickers. <laughs> from Funny Friday on Liveline. And on today with Claire Byrne, feeling inadequate? Well, Claire was talking about prodigies. Rondo a la Turca there by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, a piece from 1783, often regarded as one of his best-known works and composed when he was just 27 years of age. And while some historical figures have lived, died and made their indelible mark in history at such a young age, Nowadays, many of us are well into our 30s before we've moved out of home and figured out what we're doing with our lives. Well, lecturer in the School of Politics and International Relations at UCD, Graham Finlay, is here to talk us through some of the people that blazed a a trail at a very young age and left a legacy that shaped the world as we know it today. Graham, you're very welcome. And we've come through a weekend where the Taoiseach Micheál Martin said the death of Michael Collins deprived Ireland of its best hope of reconciliation. And this got us thinking, you know, there are some people who've lived really very short lives, but they achieve more than some of us could hope to in a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, Mozart is the obvious case, uh, you know, and it's funny, you know, he he's somebody who also has used, you know, people play Mozart to their babies in the womb to try and make them better at math. And I think it's, it's there are a lot of interesting debates about Mozart, whether he had an innate talent or whether the fact that his father was a composer and music teacher <laughs> had something to do with it. you know, And he'd shown a real interest in music from a young age, but his father soon was touring him and his sister Marianne around Europe as prodigies. Um, and so Mozart was practicing you know, three times as much as any other musician normally would. Well, there's a, a clue there which gets us to, to the nub of this, that he had a really early start in his discipline. And it's whether now we're having, we all have a very late start. Well, that's it. So, I mean, again, people are playing Mozart to people in the womb, but... But we've extended our, our childhoods and we've extended our education so much, often for very, very good reasons. 
But, you know, again, with scientists and with, with musicians and mathematicians, it's something which you can learn by practice and, and at an early age. Whereas Aristotle said that people shouldn't be allowed to study philosophy or political science until they're basically middle-aged by Aristotle's standards because young people are too passionate. And he distinguishes that kind of wisdom from the kind of knowledge you can, you can learn by application. So I, I disagree with Aristotle, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a really striking fact that it's in these kinds of fields, math, you know, and sort of adjacent things like poetry and maybe even art, although they seem slightly different, um, that people really become prodigies uh, and achieve so much by, by quite an okay. early age. Well, let's talk about some of the other examples um, we have in history. Henry Mosley, probably yeah. not a household name, but he's an example of someone who was recognised as being a real loss to science. He died in 1915 in Gallipoli. Tell us about him, what he achieved. Yeah, so he was um, another good example of someone whose, whose father was a professor, whose mother was very learned. But he, I mean, he created his own machine to try and do experiments on the elements. And he determined that uh, it was uh, electrons, which were, were what distinguished the various um, elements. And so he uh, predicted, and at a very young age, he predicted that uh, certain elements would, would uh, chemical elements would appear, sorry, protons, not electrons, certain chemical elements would appear. And indeed, it proved to be the case. But drawn by the kind of passions which Aristotle said young people were were too prone to, he he resisted all of the people trying to keep him from signing up for World War I, which was this tremendous patriotic effort, and uh, and and against all advice went and was very soon killed at Gallipoli. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. So uh, he was a loss and that was at a very young age. But again, his achievements before his death yeah, are absolutely extraordinary. Now, there are more men than women on the list. Yeah. Good, and good reason for that? Well, absolutely. So uh, Marianne, Mozart's older sister, was actually getting top billing on their tour as child prodigies. But by the time she, but she had no place to go. By the time she was of marriageable age, she just was prevented by her father and basically society from continuing on. Uh, and, and, and so while we know that she composed and, and she continued to engage with music, women just weren't allowed to play certain roles. They couldn't become court composers and, and things like that. And, and so if you wanted to excel in science um, and music um, and as a woman, you had to be very rich and also have very tolerant or open parents. I mean, Queen Christina of Sweden was running Sweden at 18 and was incredibly learned, but that's because she was the queen, mm-hmm. right? Um, Ada the, Lovelace... The, the, the exception to the rule. The exception to the rule. Ada Lovelace was the daughter of Lord Byron and Lady Byron, and her mother was a mathematician. And because they thought that she might inherit her father's madness, as as they they termed it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they encouraged her to study mathematics and they put her in touch with the brilliant female polymath Mary Somerville who put her in touch with Charles Babbage and she was the one who and people disagree a bit about this but came up with the first computer program which was because she realized that Charles Babbage's difference engine which was a sort of um, manipulation of, of, of mathematical symbols could be used to do computations if you set out a strict set of rules which would be followed by a machine in a machine like fashion. And what about modern day prodigy? What about the theory around all this? I mean, where do you stand when people say we're not going to find these people now because they're t- they're in third level education? Yeah, well, I I mean, I I teach lots of people of all kinds of ages, and and I want anybody of any age to think about coming to UCD or third level generally. Um, and it's interesting that Aristotle says it's not just people who are actually young in years, but also people who are youthful in spirit who shouldn't be taught philosophy. Uh, and I think the opposite. Um, I learn so much from my students because of their passions, uh, and that includes my mature students. Um, 
I'm really against the general running down of, of, of university students or, or the younger people as, as all being sort of feckless or, you know, something wrong with them. And this is something people have been saying for millennia. But, but rather, I think I, in all my experience of my students, um, their passions are something I need to think about and learn, I need to listen to them. And then the other thing is universities are increasingly and maybe never were, you know, not separate from the real world. We we have lots of opportunities to do internships and, and exchanges people, and things like that. People might might think that in, in university you are learning and not doing, but that's often not the case now. You're doing and learning. Yeah, and again... Just about think about all the any job you can think of. It all involves thinking, right? And not just sort of manual rote work. You know, as someone was pointing out, you know, a car mechanic needs to know about computers, right? Uh, and of course, anybody who's had anything go wrong with a car realizes that an awful lot of insight and critical thinking is required to fix it. Uh, insight I don't have. So, so again, universities. I mean, university education is being prolonged for a reason. Back not so long ago, people would leave school at fifteen into the world of work, and that was the vast bulk of people, certainly men, right? It's good that people are staying in, in school to the leaving cert. It's good that people are going on to third level education. It, we just need to um, have re- recognize that, that, you know, we need a mix of skills and that not, it's not for everybody. Some people will find their own way to where they need to be. And it could you involve formal education. It could involve apprenticeships. And, uh, it could and involve and any maybe kind it, of thing. it is a good thing that we don't have 20-year-old Alexander the Great leading an <laughs> army. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Other pa- like passions um, can do an awful lot of good. They can do a lot of harm, right? So we have often these cases of charismatic leaders like Alexander the Great, who spent his in- who's Aristotle's student, but it didn't really take. Uh, maybe that's good, convinced Aristotle the young people shouldn't be taught philosophy. You know, he conquered all the known and known world and was trying to conquer whatever bits were left when he died quite young uh, of, a, of a disease in Babylon. But he was an extremely passionate man, but he succeed- He never lost a battle. And he succeeded because his troops believed in him. You know, they weren't fighting because someone was forcing them to, his charismatic leadership really uh, carried the day. And you see that with a lot of these young military leaders. Again, Michael Collins is a really good example. Um, Che Guevara, Joan of Arc, all these people were able to inspire people to overcome often terrible odds, you know, through their charismatic person, which 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 kept their mm-hmm. troops going. Uh, and they often proved to be quite able political leaders in the case of Collins and Guevara as well. It's Graeme Finley from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the morning, Ryan Tupperty was talking to a couple of his telly favourites, John and Dave from Gogglebox Ireland. You know, I often refer to uh, one of my favourite programmes on TV happens to be on another channel, but that doesn't matter because Gogglebox is just great, whether it's the UK one on Channel 4, which I also love. But the Irish one brings us uh, different values because Irish people watch te- television in a very different way to the way British people watch television. And we present things differently. We've got a different uh, sense of humour and a different vibe altogether when it comes to watching TV. So I was thrilled when they eventually decided to do an Irish version of it. And two of my favourite fellas who watch the programme every week when the show is on are John and Dave. And they're here before me today. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. And the same to you. Um, How's life, John? What's what's happening? Are you in good shape? Yeah, in great form. Like very, very much looking forward to getting back on the show next week. It's been a 
it's been nearly a year since we've done it. So just sweating, sweating to get back and yeah. sweating to see everyone and sweating to see like how all the other cast are getting on, what everyone's been up to and just kind of catching up with everyone. You, you've got a great um, vibe between you on, on the show. You, you don't live together. That's the most important thing. How do you know each other? Do you want to tell me that? Too? Friends. So basically, John inherited me through a breakup. <laughs> Well, my I, ex. I, like, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether that was a good thing for John. So you're, you're a human bequest. Uh, I got I got Dave in the divorce, whether I wanted him or not. Cool. He was just there. <laughs> so Dave, uh, so that's how that would happen. That's Sorry. how it came about. Yes, okay. that, that was about 15 years ago. Yeah, 14 years ago. And also an insane mutual love of Madonna, like down into the minutiae of B sides from like 1987. Yeah, brought us together. I. I, I was going to ask you what Madonna song would you like to hear today if we were to play one for you? Would you be able to 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 alight on one, or is that you, like you asking me to play pick a Beatles song? Is it just impossible? Well, she's released a new greatest hit, so I've fallen in love with her again. So I'm back in the eighties vibe of like Lies La Bonita is kind of the end of summer type song. Shall we go Lies La Bonita? We'll put that on maybe for John and uh, you're wearing the shirt for it today, John. I tell you what, it's thank a, you. It's it's a it's a cracking shirt, but it's it's just. Right. I'm embracing my um, Cam from Modern Family look. Really. Yes, yes. I'm just like just going to wear big bright shirts and just be chilled out all Do the time. Do you get a bit of that Cam from Modern Family? I hope not. Not just yet. <laughs> you brought it up for God's sake. That's true. Say. Well, actually, I was at a few. I was at a, I was at a family event a couple of weeks ago and someone came over to me and was like oh my god you're so good to come down for this and I said oh thanks a million thanks a million and they said it's very good of you to come from America and I said what do you mean they're like you're Doni from Cahir Sivine oh, I went what <laughs> Doni O'Sullivan yes, I was, no I'm not they must, have, they must have had some, somebody somewhere must have said that's your man from the TV <laughs> and then cross wires yes okay uh, just Bit of uh, business before we get into proper chats, which is how did you, how did the Goggle Box thing uh, uh, arrive in your lives? <laughs> and and it, particularly the pairing of you two in it. Well, it was just by accident. Okay. I just happened to know someone who was working on the show and conversations led to, one thing led to another. And then I chatted with Dave and I was like, will we do this? Will we audition for it? Because like there's a process you have to go through. It's not yeah. just like someone picks you. I, no. I, so originally when so John has a tendency to come up with a lot of mad ideas over the years that, that doesn't surprise me and when he broached me with it originally I had no interest whatsoever so I was like look fine I'll just go along with it it'll be grand nothing will come from it but gradually as each round went by and it was getting more and more real that we were like getting closer towards the, the final part yeah. it became a reality and then and so it began and so it began yeah. now there, there are no doubt a number of people listening this morning who have no idea what Gogglebox is and what how it works in theory and practice do you want to give us a little nutshell on that as well? Because it sounds bonkers on on paper, well, yeah, but, but in it's practice a, it's much better. It's, on paper, it's a show about where you watch other people watch telly. Yes, that's, that's it. Yeah, so like when I first, when I saw it advertised on Channel 4, I didn't watch the first season or two because I was like, this makes no sense. Yeah. Also, for the first year, I genuinely thought it was about Google. So I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Google Box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, why would I watch a documentary about Google? Every that's, right, that's great. Because yeah, you're just misreading it. Yeah, just yeah, misreading yeah. it. Like so many people call it Google. Google box. Yes. <laughs> Do they really? Yes. Yes. So it's like I, I get a hi Brian. I love your show every Saturday night. I'm going no and no. Uh, so Google box. I'm going to call that forever now. Oh, that's great. Uh, so when Ryan is watching the Google box, he has a little anxiety. I kind of watch it going. Please don't do the late late. I, I really do. I, I, my nerves are a bit gone when I'm watching because I really want to watch it with anyway. But then the odd time, you know, something yeah. happens. But what I like. Have we been mean to you yet? No. What I was going to say to you. <laughs> I don't, think, yet. I, don't, don't worry, you didn't have to repeat that, John. I heard that the first time. No, but I suppose I did hear you say you're back next Friday. I know. Oh God. 
Anyway, what I did find, anytime you do do something that, that involves the late late or whatever, it, it's, and broadly speaking, actually, all programs, they, whatever way they put it together in terms of response, it's never cruel. No, no. And I like that. It's never nasty. In other words, it's it you edit they edit all that bit out. <laughs> so so do you do you, when you're watching it, do you are you conscious of not being mean about people, especially if it's Irish programming, because you couldn't bump into them in O'Donoghue's at some yeah. point. You know, yeah. I, I think the thing about it is John and I would never do it if we felt that it was cut in a way that it was mean or it was intentionally trying to be little people or make people feel like downtrodden or whatever it might yeah. be. I think the thing about it is John and I are naturally, well, we hope, yeah. just quite nice people <laughs> that we're not, we're not going to be mean about people. Like, so, yeah. no, we're, we're never conscious of what we're saying. And the fact that we're doing it so long as well. Yeah. Like, and also it's that, it's that Irish sense of humour as well where it's not, it's not meanness, it's just slagging off. Yeah. Do you know? Yes. You know, it's kind of that fine line just it's before you get to mean. fine line, John. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, but that's again, you, you know, if, if, if I spent a lot of this week talking about Twitter and online for whatever different reasons and, you know, the, particularly the, the people tweet, they seem to go into this other world where they become, you know, a little darker sometimes yeah. where with, with Gogglebox we can see you and if you see people, you're less inclined to be nasty. <laughs> you know, it just as the way you you might watch a program. Yeah. So, what sort of programs do you love to see coming on then? When you're, do you, does it matter like a documentary or? Yeah, no, we love like I think the great thing about the show, and I think the great thing about the show for the audience watching it as well is that you know we, we might watch something that we would never normally watch. Like a, a lot of times when we're doing the show, I might see something and go, I'm going to watch the rest of that series because yes. I'm really into that. Mm. But what we what we love is because we're kind of competitive a little. Is we do love anything that's like a game show or a quiz show. <laughs> Yeah. we just start screaming at the television. Oh, that's it. I, that's how I know about a lot of programs is, is uh, you know, The Chase or something. Because yeah. right? you guys might be watching, oh, that looks okay on Bradley or whatever it might be. It, it gives you like a like a gateway drug to, to different programs that are a series that you haven't watched or haven't yeah. seen. And This Morning is excellent as well. Is that the Holly? Holly and Phil. Yeah. And Phil. Because it's always the most random thing we're shown. Like I still, I don't know what you can say on, on morning okay. radio. Wrong. But like, you know, remember that clip the, 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 with the woman who is lifting a can of beans with her private parts? Yes. And you're just sitting there going, what in the name of God am I watching? And it's like, obviously not something we would normally be used to. And then, yes. What was it for? Kegels? Kegels. Kegels. Yeah. What's Kegels like? And uh, oh, you're oh, asking should, should, the wrong right people. It's, <laughs> have I, have I, I asked a really stupid question? No, it's. I think it's a tightening of a oh, muscle. Okay, that's yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, How was your day, John? Well, I explained Kegels to Ryan. <laughs> 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 and Ryan spoke to the lads about representation on the TV. What I love about, uh, I heard a great story about you guys, how um, the programme has had an impact on some people's lives, such as the dad of a 16 year old came up to you and said, you know, my son watched it. Yeah, you. yeah, I was at, 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 a, at a, I was at a work event about three years ago. I was obviously pre-COVID and we were chatting and he was like, I'm a big fan of the show and blah, blah, blah. And he just said, you know, my son said to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I'm just like John and Dave. And he he understood exactly what he meant. And that was his coming out thing. And I thought that was so lovely. I didn't know what to say. That's a big thing to say, isn't it? uh, And it it must be very nice for you guys to to hear a story like that. Well, my immediate response to him was like, I hope he's not. I hope he's better (laughs) than us. I hope he's nothing like us. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that was saying a very nice thing to you, basically. Yeah, and like we get, because we have a little, we've our joint Instagram account now and you get really nice, you know, DMs from kids and from 
mums and dads and stuff yeah. like it's there's been we've noticed a real shift in the sentiment towards the show from the pandemic to now like we never really thought that much about it we just thought we were sitting down having a laugh and hanging out and yeah. that was it but more people have reached out to us over the last like two years three years to say stories like that like really? how they've helped mm. us or we've helped them through like really dark times or we've helped them laugh or like loads of members of the LGBTQ community that have DM'd us saying look I'm from a community in rural Ireland where I'm shrouded with fear and I don't feel competent to come out but seeing you makes me feel a little bit better yeah. so it's there's definitely been a real shift in our awareness yeah. about it which is lovely like it's because I never thought of it like that whatsoever you know what I remember doing a, an opening um, on the late late a few months ago it wasn't that long ago and it was about um, you know the, the LGBTQ community and there was horrible things happening at the time in Ireland and I was talking to the audience and saying you know if you are a young person watching today and you're living in fear or what have you you know um, there are places to go and you know just acknowledge them. and God, before long I had a guest in a very young guy in here and he put a card in front of me and then he went off and did it. He, he did the interview and then he went off whatever the card was acknowledging that opening monologue to say that he was watching that program with people in his family who didn't want who wouldn't want to know and wouldn't welcome that mm. but that he felt seen much like the way people watch you and say okay well that's great you've got uh, role models uh, or what have you point of the story is just given what you've been saying and, and as that, that young man I'm talking about was uh, said in the card is that coming out and being gay in Ireland isn't quite, I think, as simple or as easy as we all have chosen to believe it is. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I think a lot of people thought everything, everything was solved with the marriage equality referendum. They were like, like I voted wand, yes, yeah. I'm done, I'm yeah. out the door, I don't have to think about this yes, anymore. Yeah. There was very much that sentiment. And look, you've seen it yourself on the news over the past year, like there's been a huge rise in attacks in the gay community around Dublin. Yeah. It's, I don't know what's a shift since the pandemic or something. Yeah, there's definitely, well, for myself anyway, there's definitely been a shift in the overall atmosphere within the city. Like, we're a little bit more conscious now when you're walking around because obviously you hear more reports on, like, homophobic attacks and homophobic abuse. So you're definitely more conscious. So Ireland, as far as we've come, and it's great to celebrate mm -hmm. it, I never think that we should take... A, a point of like complacency or yes. celebrate yeah. it too much because we there's still so much well, what happened like where did this know. come from because I thought if things were tipping along I mean you know I'm not, I'm not trying to take ownership of your story yeah. but as an observer I thought you know things were tipping along I thought we were being you know moving in the right direction and this as you say there's some, there's some little shadow starting to be cast where is there any ideas where it's coming from or online um, yeah. oh here we go again yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. online the, just you know the type like yeah online just the Go far on, right. say it. No, but it's just the type of people that are like, you know, that are get feeding into the consciousness now all of a sudden that weren't there years ago, like the likes of Joe Rogan and Andrew Tate and all these horrific men with horrific ideas. You know, that's yeah. being listened to by young men. Yes. And that's helping form their ideas. And also, I suppose you'd be we'd be a bit more conscious as well because we're the gays from the telly. So, you know, you know us. <laughs> it's kind of difficult. To hide. Yeah. But the, but on the positive thing, like you have to look at how things are at the moment as well in a positive light. A show like Gogglebox, if it was made 20 years ago, yes. would have had 16 nuclear families with a picture of the Sacred Heart in the background. That's what it would have had. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, fair enough. John and Dave from Gogglebox Ireland on the Ryan Tuberty Show. 
And on today with Claire Byrne, the future of Knocklofty House. A historic house in Tipperary with links to an infamous kidnapping is in danger of being lost, having been left empty for a number of years. Knocklofty House, which is just outside Clonmel, is one of a number of important houses here, which on Tashka say are in immediate danger due to dereliction and in some cases vandalism and theft. Brian O'Connell has more on this now. And, and Brian, it's probably fair to say there was something of an ambivalent and times hostile attitude towards some of our big country houses in decades past. Yes, I think that's really fair, particularly in the early part of the 21st century. Many of our big houses during the War of Independence were burned down and then as the 20th century progressed some were too expensive to run. But probably from the 1990s onwards there was a recognition they could act as a magnet for tourism and local jobs and we've lost some notable ones in recent years. Vernon Mountain Cork, for example. Now Knocklofty House is one of the best known country houses we have. It's been targeted by vandals and squatters unfortunately it was built by the Earl of Dunamore in the late 18th century and as you said became well known in the 1970s when Lord and Lady Dunamore were kidnapped by the IRA from the property uh, as part of a, a ransom plot they were later released unharmed in the Phoenix Park they had formed an unlikely bond with their captors I think there was a book uh, written about it so it became a hotel Claire 40 years ago it's been closed in recent years there has been a legal dispute it's been vacant and the local campaign group has tried now to highlight its plight. Lead has been taken from the roof and parts of the ex- in the interior, they're now exposed. So I met at near the house with local resident and campaigner Dean McGrath. I suppose we're looking at the current state of the once great stately manor of Naclofty House. We have boarded up windows, lead missing off the roof, slates missing, um, evidence of squatters. Like if you look at the detail that was put into the house, you can see the sculptures that are there, the money that was spent on this place and the heritage that is in this place. And in terms of just the site for a tourist attraction, it's destroyed, it's overgrown. All of this area was once a beautiful green area. I mean, there's obviously damage inside, but it would look like it could be salvaged. It's an impressive structure and just here, you have to kind of be here to see the sheer scale of it. But you can imagine when this was a hotel, this lawn here was used as kind of people used to go out and, you know, have a meal. Or This was a great wedding venue. There was the ballroom is actually in in the back. The back is absolutely stunning. It overlooks the river shore and over to a castle called Kilmanahan Castle. There's beautiful fishing across the shore. This whole estate backs right down onto the river. Yeah, to see it the way it is, there's a particular door there that was boarded up, so there were people squatting in there, and unfortunately they've kind of, inside, if, if before that was boarded up, they were lighting fires to keep warm. Like, it, it's actually much better than it was mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. It was just hanging open, the windows were broken, people were able to kind of come in and out of it. And if you were to go inside and see um, how the water has gone straight through the ceiling, straight from the roof down, hit the ornate ceilings, and it's just like a spider's web of water damage across it. There's a huge amount of work to go in, but if you look at the site and look at the money that's there, and the potential for it, as, as you're saying, for a tourist amenity in the southeast, which is a particularly, you know, we suffered really, really hard here in the recession. It is totally, it, it's wild, I suppose. So it's kind of just left to its own devices and that's really it. And Dean there, he's part of this local campaign, Brian, to try and save the house. Yes, save Knock Lofty House campaign. It's made up of concerned locals. Now, their concerns have been growing in recent years as they've, as they've uh, witnessed the uh, decline of the house, as Dean told me. It's kind of been in limbo for a long time, since it was for sale in 2013, really. Um, 40 years ago, there thereabouts, the Dunamores, who were the lord and lady that owned the Clofty site, they sold it and it was 
transferred into a hotel um, in the last 10 years really is when the damage has been done. It's, as you can see we're walking on the road now there's craters where there used to be a lovely road that you could go in and out and in terms of local significance there would be so many families that would have had communions, confirmations, weddings, you know christenings, all. It's really really held and in high regard locally. You have this architectural gem and potential tourist attraction which is sitting here idle and the damage is increasing yeah it's just decaying now there was ten thousand euros allocated just to mitigate the damp but i think because of the legal dispute it's hard to know who you'd get consent from to complete the works even yeah. if the funding is there Antashka have probably been the most active in highlighting this unfortunately look the council have done as much as they can do you had various promises from politicians across the political spectrum unfortunately while it's been highlighted, action has been a little bit short on the ground. And I think a lot of the lads in the campaign group feel a bit, I suppose, a bit disheartened. Why is it important? When you come here, if you are to come here and look at it, the size of it, the heritage of it, the, the fact that, I suppose, we have a beautiful history, an ornate history, and we're letting it decay. And unfortunately, from, from our point of view, this is a part of our local history and culture. And it's just decaying, decaying, decaying. You mentioned the council there. What role does the local council have to play? I suppose they would have a role really in terms of any planning application or change of use because obviously it's a listed building. Uh, the planning section of Tipperary County Council has inspected the property, they've told me, and they've identified some of the threats to the building and they continue to engage with the property owners. So I'm told every effort is being made by Tipperary County Council to try and engage with the owners to ensure that the house is maintained and protected. I did try and contact the owners, but I didn't get a response. Knocklofty House there but as Brian pointed out it's not the only at-risk building Every year on Toshka compiles a building at-risk list and people like the Irish Georgian Society as well do a lot of work to try and shine a light on buildings that are at risk so in on Toshka they'd have a top 10 most at-risk buildings, they would include mills schools, a debtor's prison in Dublin hotels and then uh, big country residences like this so with this in mind Claire, I spoke to Ian Lumley Head of Advocacy at Antoshka all around the country, these situations are happening. When you leave a building empty, it gets neglected, gutters get blocked, water pours in, dry rot can set in. And it's particularly serious when it's an important historic building with decorative plasterwork and other features like not lofty. Is there anything we can do? Well, it's a failure in the planning system. We now have a good national listing system for buildings of national and regional importance. But the system is not very good when a building is allowed to become uh, vacant or when there's an issue to do with a change of ownership or an administrator or a a liquidator being involved. A number of those cases um, have happened around the country. And then we've lost major buildings in recent years that were left empty through vandalism, through break-in, through, through arson attacks. That happened in Vernon Mount, just outside Cork City, a house with very important interiors, and Bell Camp in North Dublin. And Knocklofty is one of a number of properties, I'd imagine. What are the ones that are on the danger list, if you like? On, on the northern side of Tipperary is Kilcooley Abbey. There is uh, Carrie Glass in County Longford, a very fine Tudor revival house, uh, has been empty for years. Loch Lynn in County Roscommon, similarly. There's cases like this 
uh, all around all around the country. The final thing I'll ask you, Ian, is that from a historical, architectural, cultural point of view, why is it important that we hang on to this built heritage? They're major cultural, social, amenity and economic assets for the area in which they're located. And they're, you lose a house like Knoplofty, um, you simply will, you know, will, won't get it back again. Ian Lumley talking to Brian O'Connell from Today with Claire Byrne. And back to Liveline's Funny Friday and Concepta. Another schoolgirl with us today. They're, they're all, they're in Concepta. Yeah, me again. You came from, from Rutland Street School. You came all yeah. the way down. All the way down, yeah. And did Fully expensed. Did you have any summer holidays? Yeah, I had four weeks. Uh, two weeks in Lanzarote and two weeks in the airport looking for me case. Okay. <laughs> and did you write little... I know, so you know you're only back in the morning, but did you write a little... Ah, uh, yeah. Give up your old sins? I never stopped, Joe. I know, you're very yeah. good. You're very good, Concepta. Off you go. Take your time. Thanks. All over the land, the sun was shining down on the people, and it raised their spirits, and they threw away their worries and their clothes and lapped up the lovely hot weather the Holy God was sending them. But the weather predictors, known as the anti-cyclones, were there to put a dampener on the dryness and told the people to pull their curtains to keep the heat out. Well, the people just rolled around the place laughing at the idea of hiding from the sun, when in all reality they won't see it again for six months when it does disappear. And if they could only bottle the heat for the winter, they'd be on the pig's back. And in the kingdom of Kerry, even a poor goat was getting involved in the hot weather drama. And Joseph, the listener, yes, Joseph and his amazing technicolor waistcoat, became a man, a one-man crusader to free the Calorglin one, Billy the Kid... It was a ritual that every year a goat would be hauled up in a box for the people to worship as king, and the poor goat was up and down like the temperature and like Joseph's blood pressure. Anyway, the people of the kingdom of Kerry would rather worship the sun's rays and occasionally the Healy rays. (laughs) Eventually, the goat was released back into the wild where his friends were waiting to take selfies with him, thinking he was grey, but his nanny goat told him to pull his horns in and to calm down. But the poor goat wasn't the only animal in trouble over the hot weather. The finger was pointing at the cows of the land. The herds and herds of cows all standing around, blown off to beat the band and, the, and, and causing all the, the weather to go mad. And the people cried out, leave them cows alone, they're doing a great job. But the poor cows were getting very nervous, which didn't help with their digestive system. And they were ruined the day that the good Lord ever gave them four stomachs in the first place. <laughs> And one cow said, how could I be to blame for the hot weather? Sure, I'm freezing. And, and the, the, other, the other cows told him to go away. So now, the idea of having a feast where a fatted calf is gone, even if your prodigal son or daughter is returning home to you because they can't afford the rent anymore, and the young people are crying out about the three Fs. Do you remember them, them Joe? Yeah, in history. There was the fair rent, the free sale, and the fixity of tenure. But the young people coming home to their parents want their own three Fs. Free room, free food, and free laundry. But their parents are crying out and blaming the two Fs, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. (laughs) Then, Then the elder, Simon the Educator, told the people to give up their old rooms for the studious students, and he told them there could be a nice little earner in it for them tax-free if they do it. Well, there were children put out of their rooms all over the country, (laughs) 
and they were told to sleep on the sofa until further notice. And the parents told their children to go out and find the Miss Juden to fill the box room that was only used for Granny when she had too much sherry and couldn't go home. And their children professed to the students, in my father's house there are many rooms and, you, and your name is on one of them. <laughs> and then the people cried out again that they needed more houses, but the elder Dara O'Brien, the builder, told them to relax and wait for the housing for all 2030. In the meantime, he was spotted in the queue to get into the new Lego store in the hope he would grasp the concept of putting one brick on top of another in the shape of a house. Heaven help us. Concepta on the live line for Funny Friday. And in the afternoon, Catherine Thomas was talking about jellyfish. Now, there is an amazing photograph on the front of the Irish Examiner today. Um, It's quite magical. It's quite beautiful. Um, Weirdly, it's of jellyfish. Um, And jellyfish have a bad reputation in Ireland. But a man in Cork is on a mission to make us love the much maligned creature. Dr Tom Doyle is a marine biologist in UCC and Ireland's leading jellyfish expert. He hopes a new concept garden in Blarney Castle will help to shatter the myths around jellyfish. And he is on the line now. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, Catherine. Um, well, as I said, this the photograph on the front of the examiner, they are beautiful. And when you see them on documentaries, they're lovely and they're quite ethereal. Um, but are we not right to dislike them? Because, you know, they sting us. I, I know. It's, it's, it's very hard to get over that initial fear that being stung by a jellyfish. And I guess... What we're trying to do is is, count, uh, is to balance that, put a bit of perspective on it. Yes, you get stung, but, you know, we don't fear nettles in the same way. Uh, you know, you get stung by a nettle and you move on. But jellyfish are getting a lot of bad press. So what we're trying to do is we, we've come up with this concept, this garden concept. Um, so a, a botanical artist, uh, Siobhan Doherty, and, and the head gardener and designer at Blarney Castle here, Adam Whitburn. So the, the three of us together came up with this uh, this garden concept and uh, and I guess we're trying to show that you've mentioned it there. They're beautiful animals, mm, and mm. so so what we're trying to do is show that. So so, so illustrate them there in put an aquarium um, with jellyfish right beside all these different plants, and have all these beautiful artworks behind them, and then all these beautiful plants um, in beds and kind of a rocky shore. Uh, landscape in front of them that you've got this beautiful setting whereas normally you see a jellyfish on a beach or you get stung by it mm. and you swim in the opposite direction so here now you can get to look at them and uh, and then look at the artworks and the artworks really illustrate um, kind of some of the features about them that we want to highlight in terms of their biology and get you thinking about them in a different way and perhaps thinking about them more as flowers of the sea than, than those stinging animals that, that, that sting you. Mm. And you know, when you see them against, um, against the flowers and against the plants, uh, you can see why it works. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's like it's a crazy idea. Yeah, and, it, and, and, and at, at the foot of Downey Castle, it's just wonderful. And, uh, but yeah, it does work because one of the things about the symmetry of these animals, is, you know, what most animals like ourselves are, have a left and a right side or we, what we call mirror symmetry. Mm. So you can be, you know, we can be slide down the middle and then your left and your right hand side are exactly the same. And think of a butterfly, a butterfly's wings, and they're, they're symmetrical. Mm. But, so all animals are like that, but jellyfish are not. Jellyfish are round or have this radial symmetry, and it's, it's like, it's like uh, the, the wheel of a bicycle. So when you look at a wheel of the bicycle and you spin the spokes, it always looks the same. Jellyfish are much the same way, so, so that, there's that interesting element about them. But then 
if you uh, why we have them with plants because plants are the same same many flowers have five petals or six petals and again when you look at them and you you twist a flower around in your hand the, it looks the same so mm. they so they share that that that's kind of um those patterns or symmetry mm. Mm. and Tom have you always been intrigued by them um, well not I'll be honest I, I didn't I didn't start out to, to be a, a jellyfish ecologist or a marine well I, but I was always interested in the marine in the marine side of things mm. and um, and so I did I did go to college to, to do marine zoology mm. and then um, but my PhD was on sea turtles and now I work on sharks and everything else but but jellyfish I, I think um, are they're, they're a special group of animals and they, are, they play really important roles in our oceans that maybe most people would not be aware about in terms of their important food for sea turtles for fish such as sunfish um, but they also um, uh, are shelter for animals so so if you think about it if you're a small little fish like a haddock or something like that there's a lot of other fish in the ocean that want to want to eat you but they find shelter in amongst the the, the bell of a jellyfish and uh, in protection wow. in amongst those tentacles so there's all these different little narratives that are going around and so I guess with the garden we're trying to put a bit of spotlight on that mm, mm. And, you know, I mean, I know we've been saying that it's the end of summer and it's nigh and September is on its way and all of that back to school. But if you are taking a dip in the ocean or the Irish Sea this weekend, are there jellyfish still about? Like, are you likely to to see one in various areas, in specific areas? you will for sure. Uh, this this still is the jellyfish season, and um, like like many uh, flowers or plants, they have a certain season. But the summer is is certainly the time when we get jellyfish that mm. are really abundant. And August is it would be you would see a lot of jellyfish in August. But some species like the lion's mane jellyfish um, wash up in in August. You see them you see them tend to wash up in August and, and will wash up on your beaches. And so that's what there's a lot of media attention about them in Dublin right now because this time of year they're almost dying out. That they undergo senescence or that the um their lifespan is over and then they're washing up on the beaches. So that's what you're seeing right now. But but it, they're they're not in, in general they're nothing to be feared because every you know we had the same jellyfish in our waters a hundred years ago. Mm. And for most people when you go to the sea and you go swimming there will be jellyfish there, but most jellyfish that you encounter will, will 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 barely sting you, or you won't even notice it. Or at worst, it'll be a nettle sting, and it's just you know occasionally some people will swim into a, a lion's mane jellyfish and get a bad sting from those. But in general, um, you know they're they're just part of our oceans, and mm. and, uh, and yeah, they're out there. Dr. Tom Doyle talking to Catherine Thomas in the afternoon. And on today with Claire Byrne, the benefits of eco-driving. I'm sure you've heard the ads on the radio encouraging you to slow down to reduce your fuel consumption. But what's that all about? Can slower speeds really help reduce your fuel costs? Well, to help us understand the concept of eco-driving, I'm joined in the studio by the motoring journalist Michael Sheridan and also Turlock Downs, who's Professor in Mathematical Sciences and Director of the Centre for Astrophysics and Relativity at DCU. We've the right brains in the studio this morning, I'll tell you that. Good morning to you both. (laughs) Thanks for being with us. So if you are trying to be more energy efficient in the car, Michael, what do you need to focus on? I suppose, essentially, you need to be aware of what you're doing. So you're pushing a tonne and a half uh, through the air. And if you had to push start your car, you'd be really aware of what makes it go and the energy needed to make it shift. So you really need to anticipate where you're going with your with your vehicle and then be as economical as you can with your right foot, which controls a tap of energy 
to the motor, whatever's driving the vehicle. So if you uh, if you needlessly waste um, energy quickly getting up to speed and then jamming on the brakes when you're coming up to traffic lights and then accelerating hard again, you're needlessly wasting energy. You're if burning you, through your fuel. Yeah, so if you if you anticipate what the way the traffic is flowing and you go at that flow, you're then prepared for things. And again, we said before, the traffic lights, they have one function in the world and that is to change. So expect these things to kind of happen and a bit of anticipation will help you be a smoother driver and if you educate your right foot a little bit to be gentle with the accelerator then you will save fuel. It's not just that though is it there are other things in your in your car and on your car that use fuel that we should be aware of too. Yeah now again if I can state the obvious if you're carrying needless weight this will add to it because you're then just making the car even heavier so imagine picking up something and taking it up the stairs you want to be as light as possible you know moving the car around the place. Tire pressures. Tires, we always say, oh, check your tire pressures. Nobody checks their tire pressures. People put the car in for a service. It might get tires checked then. But unless you've got a puncture or a warning light comes up, nobody checks them. Check your tire pressures. How often? Well, they say you should check them once a week. But even once a month, any check at all will help it. Because if the pressure is right, the tire is then running at the optimal um, uh performance level and that means that it's creating the right amount of grip so when you need to turn and stop you can but also it isn't creating drag because an under underinflated tire will eat through fuel because it's gripping more to the road and the motor making the car move has to work harder to push it mm-hmm. along. So it makes logical yeah. sense. And then again your car depending on the car you have most cars will tend to have a kind of a sweet spot where they're optimal in terms of how efficiently the engine or the motor <coughs> is making the wheels turn. A lot of times it's sort of circa 80 100 kilometers an hour. Once you go above 100 kilometers an hour, you're asking your car to do a hell of a lot because it has to push through the air. And that's like carrying your entire family on your back going up the stairs. And it's not a case of of saying, well, it's only going to be a gradual increase. It's a massive increase. And can you give, can you give us an example or a, a breakdown of how much you could save if you reduce your speed from 120 to, say, between 80 and 100? Yes, yeah, d- depending on a, on a journey, if you're on a motorway journey doing 120 and, you know, if that's 120 kilometers an hour so in an hour you'll travel the difference between that and 100 kilometers an hour you could save 25 percent on your fuel costs now that's again that's a generalization because again people don't really know specific numbers and so on and different models uh, vary but you can save a fortune the trick is to respect other road users and make sure that if you're on an economy run or trying to get eke out the last bit of fuel uh, for your journey that you're not imposing on other drivers, particularly professional drivers, truck drivers, they're on limiters, mm-hmm. they're on, t- on time constraints. So they have to stick to their limiter, which is so no more than 100 kilometres. Well, stay we're, in your lane, but be aware of, de- of delaying uh, trucks and other work vehicles that need to get to places okay. on the motorway. Now. And Turlock Downs, Professor in Mathematical Sciences and Director of the Centre of Astrophysics and Relativity at DCU, was there to explain the science. Turlock, you're here for the science bit. So <laughs> we have had it explained to us that will save fuel if we go slower. Will you explain why that is the case? Sure, yeah. So uh, Michael mentioned the sweet spot that a lot of these vehicles have. And for lots of cars, it's around 80 to 90 kilometres an hour. And uh, once you go above that speed, what happens is at that speed, the amount of effort that your engine has to put into pushing the air out of the way of the car is about the same as it has to do in, as it has to put into overcoming the internal friction of the engine, things like that, uh, and pushing the tyres along the road. 
so then once you go above that, really the main thing that's happening to your engine, the main reason your engine is working harder is because the air resistance is higher. And if you're a cyclist, you'll know well just what happens as you speed up. Like when you're just coasting along at a very slow rate, you can go along forever. But when you start pedaling to try and maintain a certain speed, it, the air resistance goes up massively. So, for example, on a, in a car or on a uh, bicycle, if you double your speed, you quadruple the efforts that you need to put in. So it goes up by a factor of four, not just a factor of two. Mm-hmm. So the air resistance is really bad news and this is why if you decide to drive along at 80 kilometers an hour you'll use a certain amount of fuel if you accelerate to 100 kilometers an hour and do the same length journey you'll uh, increase your fuel usage by about 30 percent if instead of 80 kilometers an hour you do it you go at 120 kilometers an hour then you go up by about 60 percent in terms of your fuel usage for the same length journey now I, I don't know about any, anybody else or any of the listeners, but I can't drive in a motorway at 80 kilometres an hour. That is just like, feels really slow. But but you can actually use the professional drivers, the HGVs, because they have limiters for 90 kilometres an hour, roughly. And you can easily just go at their speed. And then you know that you're driving at a really efficient rate. You're not delaying the professional drivers. You stay in the slow lane, obviously. Um, but you'll save an enormous amount of money at those high speeds. The arguments change a little bit if you're going at low speed. So if you're in urban start-stop traffic, then you... you again as Michael said you need to go as slow as you can so if the car ahead of you you know I don't know what they're doing they're a bit distracted the traffic moves off in front of them and then they accelerate off down 50 meters and then stop again you should go as slow as you possibly can because if you decide to travel that journey at 20 kilometers an hour you use four times the amount of fuel that if you uh, travel at 10 kilometers an hour for absolutely zero gain in terms of time because you're still going to catch up with the car ahead of you Mm -hmm. so it's really important to go gentle. I mean, the, the overall, the, the, the thing is, apart from the speed, overall, the idea is to be gentle on the accelerator and try to drive as if you're not going to use your brakes. Uh, yeah, what about Absolutely. the brakes? Talk to me about the brakes, about using the brakes, overusing the brakes, because that has an impact too. Well, so the brakes, uh, I mean, obviously, they're very important. You don't want to not use them under any circumstances. But at the same time, all they do is they convert that valuable energy that you've burned your fuel to put into your car moving down the road. They just convert that into heat. Um, So if you do decide to travel to catch up with the car ahead of you and do it at 20 kilometres an hour, then you have to put on the brakes. All that fuel that you burned in order to get your car moving, that energy now goes into heating up your brakes. Um, Pointless. Absolutely pointless. So if it again, Michael mentioned the word again, uh, anticipation is the big thing. If you're driving along a motorway and you realise, oh, there's, you know, one lorry overtaking another lorry, everybody's having to slow down, just take your foot off the accelerator. Don't Try not to use your brake to slow you down. Just take your foot off the accelerator because then immediately you're using much less fuel to get to coast that distance to where you'll catch up and with the rest fact, of the with traffic. with your foot off the accelerator, you're using no fuel because you, <clears throat> you actually cut the fuel off completely as opposed to parents in, in my day used to knock a car into neutral, but the engine would actually would use fuel as it idled. So you use no fuel if you lift off. Mm-hmm. And then just with the brake, turlock point on the brakes, you're wearing out parts that are going to cost you money at your next service. Yeah. And then while some new cars like hybrids and electric cars will have regenerative regenerative braking, um, where when you lift off, they reverse the, the motor and will try and get some charge back. It's still very little, but it's going that direction. But again, um, it's 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 all that effort you went. It's like, you know, bringing in a big load uh, of, of washing up the stairs and then just say oh actually I think I'll bring another load and you go back down bring up another. You, it's, it's a cycle that you have to just uh, be aware of and anticipate <laughs> Professor Derlick Downs from Today with Claire Byrne And on the live line in Waterford two special guests for Funny Friday with Joe We're delighted to have Michael 
and Danny Healy Ray with us. Uh, thanks for t thanks for uh, taking the time uh, to come up come up to Waterford. You, you, you must be run off your feet. Fine weather, and I heard it's a bumper, a bumper tourist season below in Kilgarvan in the kingdom. We were flying. We were flying the best season for years. We couldn't keep up with we it, Joe. We couldn't cope, cope with it. Until you had to go and stick your nose into, into it, it and start all that controversy about the, the goat, goat overheating. Mm. Hang on, it wasn't, it wasn't just me. It was callers to the programme. I only answered the phones. Can, 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 I, can, I, come, can I come in of here, course, Joe? Of course, Michael. Michael, what point do you want to make? The point I want to make is very, very plain and very simple. If either Danny or myself ever becomes the Minister for Communications... And it could happen. The way things are looking now with the present outfit, it could happen very quickly. But if ever we become Minister for Communications, <laughs> you can expect to be getting your P45 fairly smartly. <laughs> but it wasn't... No, that's not... It wasn't just me that was complaining. We called from all over Ballyfermot and Europe and the rest of the world. Look at, look at... There, there had been a goat up that scaffold at book fair. Four hundred years and more. And no one ever made a phone call. Not one phone call was ever made about it. Until you start this all up. The like the way, way you, you always do. The way you always do. You can't keep your nose out of you can't You can't mind your own, mind mind your own, own business. business. You have to keep your sticking your nose in. We're just wanted. wanted. <laughs> and, and I have to ask you a very straight question. Is this what the people of Kerry are paying their licence fee for? For the likes of you to be ruining our ancient festivals and traditions. This year the puck was flying, wasn't he, Danny? He was flying. Flying, flying. The sun was splitting the stones. <laughs> the pubs were back to the rafters. Everyone was happy, including, including the goat. Especially the goat. Especially the goat. That poor goat was looking forward to puck fair for the past He was, he was, he was. And he was just settling himself down. When you started all that old hullabaloo on the radio, about and before he knew where he was, the goat was like he was like a yo-yo. He was hardly up when he had to come down, down again. Then he went back up, and then and he, he had, had to come, come back, back down, down again. again. No, we all has our ups and downs. I'm not saying nothing, but the vet said he did that 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 the the coming and going was after giving that goat the post-traumatic post stress disorder. <laughs> The vet said he was suffering from that post-traumatic... What's the end of it, Danny? Stress disorder. Stress disorder. Even be, and that was even before Declan Nerny started singing to him. <laughs> from Funny Friday on the Live Line. And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself. Till next time. <laughs>